Yay, we're here. Here we are. Welcome to the Nourishing Liberty podcast. This is the first of many. I am your host, Liz Reitzig, and I have with me today, Rachel Mills. Hello. Rachel, thanks so much for being on. Thanks for helping me get started with this endeavor for your constant inspiration in these regards and uh, the friendship we've maintained and, and nourished these past uh, almost 15 years now. Wow, it's been a long time. Well, thank you for uh, bringing me along on this journey. Um, I'm gonna have lots of questions. I am your target audience <laughs> for what you wanna talk about here. So I'll be, I'll be the one with all the questions and you'll be the one with all of the learning. So I'm looking forward to this for selfish reasons. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty of learning both ways. And once again, this is the Nourishing Liberty podcast. What we want to do here is uh, give you a little bit of food for thought. So this is all about food, growing it, cooking it, becoming healthier, all the different aspects of what we do in our lives with food. Intentional and, eating. And of course, the parenting parts of it. And I wanna start out with a belief statement that, that drives us. That is, we believe that nurturing our ecosystems and each other is the greatest legacy we can leave future generations. We believe that individually we are important and valuable in this process and together we create community. Nurture begins by nourishing ourselves, both physically and spiritually. Let's grow together. I love it. And Rachel, the topic for this week is one of my favorites and one of the, the first things that brought us together. And that is uh, access to the foods that we decide are best for our family. And in this case, the long and, and arduous and twisting journey of, of raw milk and how to get that into your home and how to, how to find it in this country. It's, it's quite difficult. So we're gonna start with that today. And that should be a fun little topic just to get started with. Yeah, and that's really how we met. And when I think of raw milk, I think of you. And um, I have a whole story about raw milk here in St. Augustine and I'll, I'll uh, tell it when, when the time is right, but why don't you go ahead with um, introducing the, the topic and why raw milk is important. Yeah, I mean, this, this is something I could literally spend hours on. <laughs> my children are older now. My oldest is almost 20. And this is a journey I've been on since she was a baby. So clearly there are a lot of, uh, a lot of steps in that journey already. And one of the aspects that I, I think I love the most is that I'm still and constantly always learning. And I'm always hearing about other people's experiences and other people's food journeys, especially related to raw dairy products and, and where that takes them, both in their healing journeys or in their culinary experiments and in their, their, their evolution of thinking around um, community or, or 
in some cases, politics or our institutions or our governance. And, and to me, that's it's all part of the unwrapping of it. It's all part of the fun of exploring foods through every lens. So I wanted to start with um, a, a passage from a book by Dr. Ron Schmid. And he is, I, I would talk about him as, um, he, he's since deceased, but he was an elder for me. He was somebody I learned a great deal from and somebody who uh, kind of stood out in the field, so to speak. And he, uh, here's a passage from his book, The Untold Story of Milk. And this is milk in the ancient world. Mm -hmm. The word milk comes from the Latin mulgeo, which means to press out by softening with the hand. In the whole range of organic matter, milk is the only substance purposely designed and prepared by nature as food. Early humans did not hesitate to appropriate this gift of nature for their own use. No state of civilization has ever arisen without the subjugation of animals and subsequent use of their milk. From the infancy of human society, the bovine species has taken its place as the aristocrat of grazing animals. Those species include the bison, buffalo, yak, and domestic animals of the genus Vos, like cows and zebus, the humped cattle of India and Africa. Where people have gone, the ox and his kind have followed. Whether indigenous or naturalized, bovines grace the pasture lands of every country. In most, their milk has at one time or another served as an essential article of human sustenance. In many, as the chief. The Vedic religious songs of India, which are at least as old as the Old Testament, declare the cow as man's greatest benefactor. Milk is the symbol of nourishment. These ancient hymns described the consumption of milk and butter 2000 years or more before Christ. The most valuable offering to the gods was milk. So that's just a tiny little passage in the rich, rich history of milk. And again, I mean, it's such a fascinating food, both in terms of that description, it's, it's uh, indelible mark on, on civilization and in terms of all of the different ways we use it in, in our food here in culinary dishes. Right? That really does give me something to think about that it is the only substance in nature that is designed specifically to be food. Like I, I never thought of it that way. That's very amazing. Yeah, and I, I might pick that apart just a little bit and I might ask the question, what about honey? Because honey too is designed to feed the young bees, right? I, I think maybe you could make a case that honey is a form of milk. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> I mean, it's very different. It's completely different sure. branches of the uh, animal kingdom tree. But yes, yeah, I mean, those are, those are two foods that we as humans and many other animals, it's not just humans who consume these foods, many other animals do as well. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's two foods that are designed by those species to feed their young. That's pretty amazing. It is, but yes, I mean, that's, that's some of the richness of the history of milk is that how, 
how pivotal it has been in the development of human civilizations. Mm -hmm. And now come full circle to the, the year 2022. And in some cases, it's hard to find. In some cases, well, the raw milk is hard to find, right? To be more yes. specific. And in some cases, people often, we hear this frequently, oh, we can't drink milk, it, it makes us sick. And, and that's because we've deviated so far from this original uh, food of, of civilization. Yeah. Yeah, and there's probably several layers of reasons why milk makes some people sick. <laughs> well, pasteurized. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, yes, and also uh, laws vary from state to state and maybe even locality to locality, making it more difficult in some places than others to find raw milk, but... Um, it, it can, can, is there anywhere that, that it really just can't be found? Any, any laws that you know that are so restrictive that it just can't be found? Well, no, because people find a way. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the beauty of humans too, right? Is that we find a way and there are, there are ways, there's nuances. And so for a second though, I, I want to touch on some of the, uh, some of the, aspects of raw milk that we know to be create good experiences for people, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've heard the stories, I've heard the stories, we know so many of them. Where people uh, might have some kind of health issue or where people say they're allergic to milk or um, lactose intolerant, lactose intolerant. And then when given the opportunity to try raw milk, they love it and they thrive on it. Mm -hmm. So there, there are a couple components to that, right? And of course, I'm speaking from uh, aggregate stories, aggregate experience, right? There's my experience. And then my life has touched thousands of other people who have told me their stories. And it's, it, it, it means something when you get that kind of aggregate data, it really does. That aggregate anecdotes, shall we say. Um, but that's how humans have made decisions for millennia is that we hear other people's stories. We watch other people's experiences. We use our own powers of observation and we make decisions based on that. Mm -hmm. So where was I going with that? talking about people's wonderful experiences with this food and where it leads them, where it leads uh, us together and the questions that it leads us to ask. Yes. Yeah. Um, I can tell you a little bit about my story finding raw milk here in Florida. Yeah. So we just moved here in July and I don't really have any connections whatsoever. But I thought, you know, with supply chain disruptions coming down the pike, I, I figured I wanted a way to access local food um, and local farmers. And I decided uh, the farm, the, I found a local farmer's market. Um, it it uh, happens every Saturday 
on uh, the amphitheater grounds. And there are, well, there's one farmer in particular, there's a, a few meat farmers that bring fresh grass-fed meat and that's amazing. Um, and there is one farmer that brings um, raw milk to sell by the quart. Um, and it's labeled for pet consumption. <laughs> so um, we brought some of those home and it's just delicious, creamy and like the color is different. And I don't know, it just, it feels so much more nourishing and my kids love it. And uh, it, it's just interesting. It has to be labeled for pet consumption, but you know, there it is. And so we have found it. It's, it's labeled and sold a little bit differently, but you know, we managed to find it. Good. And, and yeah, it's, it's often labeled a little differently. It's often harder to find. You have to make a little more effort and it's also got a slightly higher price tag most of the time. Yes, it is more expensive. But, you know, it's worth it. One of the really small notes I'll put onto that comment is that when farmers are selling their product directly, they get to set their prices. So whether it's raw or whether it's on-farm processed dairy products, if you're getting it directly from the farm, most likely the farm themselves got to set the price on those, product, on those products, which means that they are setting their prices, usually at a living wage. Yes. With the dairy industry in general, there's price control. So, and the processors are the ones setting the prices, not the farmers. So we've seen in the headlines the past few years that dairy farms are, are bleeding to death. And it's because they don't get to price control. They're not, they're not getting to have that final say in, the value of their labor, the value of their expertise. But when you go directly to a farmer, they are getting that say in it. And so you are then creating a situation for that farmer where they get to earn a actual living wage for- And, and sustain their for farm. what they do. Exactly. And, uh, you talked about the supply chain and, and that's a really great reason to go local because it takes some of those complications out of the supply chain and whatever supply chain shortages are coming up. And if we don't support our local farmers, they will sell out when the parents retire or when something happens. And then we won't have those local sources available to us, maybe when we need them most. Exactly. That's another reason that I thought it was important to seek out a farmer's market and local farmers and support them now while we can, because you don't know what the future is gonna bring and they might be supporting us and they're gonna have limited supply and that's gonna to go to the people that they know first. So, you know, I figure when, when times really get tough, if that ever happens, God forbid, um, if, if you're late to the game and you don't know your local farmers, you might be out of luck. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many ways to look at that, right? And we can also look at how efficient industrial farming processes are and speculate that that might not happen in our lifetimes, that might not happen in our children's lifetimes. We, we don't know. 
but I, I always like the idea of supporting a local short food supply chain. And, you know, we can talk about that in a lot more detail another time, because that is another one of my favorite topics. Oh, it's a hot button issue for me. <laughs> Good. Then we can talk about it for a long time. Yeah. I'm a little bit dystopian, especially these days. It's easy to be dystopian, but um, yeah, there's so many reasons. That's one of them, but yeah. uh, also your health. I mean, I, if you've noticed, people are getting sicker and sicker and sicker all around us. And, you know, maybe, maybe it has something to do with what they're putting in their body. Yes. And that's another perfect lead into the health benefits, some of the health benefits of, of raw dairy products. Now, keeping in mind that this is, um, this is broad. I want to, I want to paint broad strokes because there's so many factors and so many variables that uh, I'm going to talk about that other foods can provide some of these same, uh, avenues towards. So unless you've been living under a rock, you have probably heard of the gut microbiome in the Mm -hmm. past five years or so. And there's a link then between the bacterial colonies that live in our digestive tracts and, and our health. This is very complex. I only want to touch on it. I only want to paint really broad strokes for now. If this is interesting to you, please dig into it more. Uh, But looking at that gut microbiome, what we know is that the raw dairy products have many of those beneficial bacteria in them that our bodies need and want. Raw dairy also has an enzyme in it called lactase. And that enzyme helps our bodies to digest and absorb lactose, which is that milk sugar that many people feel they are intolerant towards. And pasteurization destroys that enzyme. Hmm. So when you look at the, the complexity of what is this living food, and again, I mean, yes, you can get components of these, of the, of the beneficial bacteria, you can get enzymes from other foods. So it's not limited to this food. It is in this food. And then we look back and reflect on uh, that passage from Ron Schmid, And we can see why we've co-evolved with the mammals that we rely on for the milk, right? Mm -hmm. Another piece of this is, and and I wanna touch on this, this is all connected. Um, I was fascinated when I first brought raw dairy into my home and started using it and cooking with it and preparing food with it. I was absolutely fascinated by how versatile it was and the many, many ways I could uh, prepare it that didn't involve cooking, prepare it and preserve it. And as I learned, it allowed me to reflect and understand uh, other cultures in deeper and more appreciative ways. So I don't just mean other cultures today, I mean other cultures throughout history and get curious about how they lived without refrigeration, for example, without the convenience of a stove that turns on with a button, right? Right. So are you talking about like fermentation and yogurt and things? Yes. Yes, exactly. And for example, there was no refrigeration prior to what, 150 years ago, right? There was no uh, mechanized refrigeration 
Of course, there were other adaptive and creative ingenious ways that people had of keeping some foods cold, but it wasn't what we think of as refrigeration. And it was, certainly wasn't like mechanized like that. And understanding that when left out, when left at room temperature, milk ferments, it turns into either clabber or yogurt or kefir. Those are the primary ones that I'm aware of. And that those are incredible foods as well. And each of those ones offers our bodies two benefits when we eat them, two additional benefits. Some of the sugars and proteins are pre-digested by the bacteria in those products. And secondly, we have an abundance of those bacteria that our bodies need when you ferment it. Wow, I thought it just got rotten. <laughs> it doesn't. I mean, it's one of the beauties of raw dairy is that it, it really lasts so much longer. And if you have just a little bit of uh, practice, you can make so many amazing foods with excess milk. And if you think about how, how humans lived and how we associated with these animals, then all of the milking mammals, it makes so much sense that in certain times of the year or certain days of the week or whatever it was, there was an abundance of milk. And then what do you do? How do you preserve that milk? Because it's not, you don't have refrigeration. You can't put it in the fridge and it will last two weeks. You have to use it now. And so that's where we get cheese. That's wow. where we get yogurt. And it is so much fun to explore the depth and the variety and the amazingness of what you can do with plain milk. So how many animals, this is a question for you, how many animals have you had milk from and what's your favorite? Oh, goodness. I think by that, you mean not individual animals, but types. That's right. Right. Um, well, yes, definitely. How many cows? Count up the cows. <laughs> yeah. No, like besides cows, have you tried like goat's milk and yak's milk or what? What have you tried? I haven't, I haven't tried yak. I've, I've had cow, goat, sheep, camel, and water buffalo. Ooh. They're all delicious. Uh, my favorite, I think this is very narrow. It's not a huge margin of favoritism here. Uh, water buffalo. The water buffalo milk is a little smoother and it has a higher fat content. And I just love that. I love it. Wow. Where do you get water buffalo milk? Well, from a water <laughs> buffalo. <laughs> and where are water buffaloes in Maryland? <laughs> there are a few farms around the country. Uh, and even if, even if you get it pasteurized, I would still recommend trying it because that is very good milk. And of course, it's also what gave us the original mozzarella cheese. Oh, buffalo mozzarella. Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, so, so see the, the culinary delights of this food are off the charts, unimaginable. You, you can just go on forever with the, the creativity and the flavor profiles and the uses. Oh, amazing. Right. Right. And I remember you used to talk a lot about um, like immunity, like it's good for the immune system. Can you talk more about that? Yes, again, this is very broad strokes, right? But this goes back to the gut microbiome. And yeah. 
if you are providing your body with bacteria that it needs to be healthy and to digest food well, I mean, you're giving your body the strength that it needs and what it needs to heal itself, right? Because our bodies are designed to heal themselves. That's, what, that's how we're designed. Yeah, so we give it so input, especially these days. Yeah. If we give it what it needs, it's there. It's there healing every single day, all day long. We're, we're subjected to little things, right? Our bodies are constantly repairing, constantly reassessing. And so continuing to give it the healthy uh, bacteria that it needs, the enzymes it needs that are in the raw dairy products. This helps our body with the job it needs to do, which is to heal itself. Can you talk a little bit about the history of pasteurization and why that even began? Like, why is that even a thing? And why is it so prevalent? So you're asking very specifically about here in this country. Yeah. Yeah. That is a long story. It's a it's an interesting story for sure. So we might touch on this again. I'll give the, the really brief version and we'll definitely come back to this topic because I think it's an important one, not just for health and understanding raw milk, but also understanding some of our public health policies. Yeah. Right. And the, the short version is, um, yeah, even the short version is not short. <laughs> so I, I really do want to touch on it again. Uh, there was a time in our country's history where uh, the dairy farms were not taken care of. There were investors who got a hold of how profitable dairies could be, and they brought the dairy farms right into the center of the cities, right next to the distilleries, and they said, "Oh, let's." take the waste products from the distilleries and feed it to the cows. Mm. So here are these cows living in these buildings, in the cities, getting fed distillery slop. And they were living their whole lives in these buildings. They were up to their knees in their own filth and they were not healthy. That was not a way to treat. I don't believe that's a way to treat animals at all ever. And then this was before closed milking systems, before refrigerated transportation, and the, the, some of the workers were not always sanitary. So they're hand milking into open buckets, and then this milk is going on the, uh, whatever transportation they had at the time, horse and buggy down the street, getting put on the shelf, and then that's where uh, desperate families would come and get milk for their babies. And in the cities where this was occurring, infant mortality rates were high. They were That's high. shocking. <laughs> right. Wow. And of course, there were other factors. There was not the kind of sanitation we've grown to expect. There was not, um, well, there were a lot of factors, right? Rachel, this is not one slice of history. It doesn't just have one factor. Yeah. But that was a piece of it. And so the, uh, some of the doctors at the time said, oh, it's the raw milk we're going to pasteurize it all. And another doctor said, wait, let's not pasteurize it all. Let's get it from clean farms. <laughs> How about that? 
let's go check out these farms and get it from clean farms. And the public health battle went something like, oh no, that would be not efficient. It would be too expensive, not efficient. Let's just create mandatory pasteurization. So even though they pretty much all agreed that getting raw milk from certified clean farms outside of the cities, out in the countryside, was the best option for the health of the people, both in the cities and on the farms, all of that, they said, oh, it would not be efficient, mandatory pasteurization. Mm -hmm. So because of that little word efficiency, mandatory pasteurization won out. And that is what started it. So what have we lost in uh, pasteurizing everything? And what, if anything, has been gained? Oh, wow. What we've lost is we've lost diversity. We've lost so many farms. We've lost the uh, decentralization of our farms, which you know is important when it comes to diversity, when it comes to making different choices at different levels. Uh, and, and on a kind of bigger picture, there's so many people who don't understand that this is a choice they can make, right? <laughs> like you ask somebody, your, your average person at the grocery store, they don't even think they can get raw milk, much less that do they think it's good for them? No, they think it's scary. And so our, so much of our, uh, what's the right word? So many of our systems revolve around this concept that it's this dangerous, scary substance. And it's just not true. There was a time in our history when it was produced really poorly. Right. And that mattered. And what matters is fixing the production mm -hmm. and not doing a one size fits all monolithic top-down approach to, well, now nobody can have it ever. And yep. that's been the governmental response and reaction to anybody who wants raw milk, as you know, because we've, we've looked at the politics of this before. It reminds me a little bit of like the issue about drinkable water and how, you know, there's waterborne pathogens and illnesses, especially like in, in the continent of Africa, but instead of providing, you know, clean wells and ways to make the water potable and safe, they vaccinate against, you know, whatever diseases seem to come from the water because that's, that's easier when what people really need is clean water, you know, and in the same way we need clean milk. Right now. Yeah. I mean, I, I really also, even though things can get really tough sometimes, I really believe in human ingenuity. And I believe that we can solve problems that are facing us at a local level, at a global level. I mean, I really strongly believe in this, Rachel. So I think whether, whether people are dealing with that issue in places I've never been to or whether we're dealing with this here, I have that underlying faith and that underlying belief, which, you know, hopefully is not incorrect. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think we all want to be healthier. And when you look around you and you see everyone's got, 
these autoimmune problems and chronic illnesses, you kind of, you have to, you have to do some searching and you have to look at alternate information and sources and you got to open up your horizon. If, if you want to be healthier than what you see around you, you've got to do things a little different because the, the mainstream is not getting good results. I mean, they're just not. So let's, let's look at alternatives and do things better. And read history. History can yes. teach us a lot, right? Oh, absolutely. I'm a history buff. Yeah, I think that's, that's key. That's really important. And hopefully some of the people listening heard a little bit of history they had not been exposed to before with our raw milk story here in this country. Yeah, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to explore here around raw milk and uh, sustainable farming and nourishing liberty. Yes, indeed. So Rachel, we'll be back on in a week. Sounds good. What are we going to talk about next week? Are we going to talk about fast food in your kitchen? Oh, yes. That sounds like an awesome topic. Uh, yeah. How to, how to make fast food in your own kitchen, right? Because that's when, when I talk to moms, when I talk to parents at all, or people who maybe don't have children, but they want convenience right? Everybody wants convenience. So we need how do we make, yeah. And how do we make quick, easy, healthy food in our own kitchen? Well, I tell you what, I'm going to need this very much next week because, um, I do work outside the home these days. I work long hours some days and I pass by a lot of fast food places on my way home. And I know that I've got hungry kids. So I need some tips to help me not stop at the fast food places and instead look to my own fridge and kitchen to make them something better. And for myself too, because I am trying to lose weight. I'm a woman of a certain age and it's easier than ever to put on a little extra. So I, I feel like if I ate better, um, my body would feel better and it also fit into my my uh, fabulous wardrobe a little bit better. <laughs> so righty. I need some help with all of that. We will cover that and more next week. Sounds good. All right, Rachel, until next time. Thanks, Liz.